My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me today is Pamela Douglas. Hello, Pamela. Hi, Pilar. Glad to be here. I'm glad you could be here as well. Pamela Douglas is an award-winning writer with numerous credits in TV drama. She is also the author of Writing the TV Drama Series, currently in its fourth edition. Correct. Yes. yes. And uh, previous editions of this book have been adopted by network mentoring programs, published in translation in Germany, Spain, Italy, France, China, Taiwan, and Korea. She's been honored with the Humanitas Prize for Between Mother and Daughter, which was on CBS. And it uh, also, it's an original drama, it's also won a nomination for a Writers Guild Award, also multiple Emmy nominations and awards, as well as awards from American Women in Radio and Television, which went to her other dramas. She was a creator of the series Ghost Writer and wrote for many shows, including Star Trek The Next Generation. Be, beware, this, the fanboys are coming. Oh, um, and uh, 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 Star Trek The Dr- Next Generation was named one of the top 100 shows by the Writers Guild of America. Right. So thank you for being here, Pamela. I'm delighted to be here. Pamela, let's get right into talking about your book, Writing the TV Drama Series. This is this is a hefty book. This is a book book. Yes. <laughs> like, you want to know stuff? Read this book. You're, you're in it. And fourth edition, when did it first come out? Well, that's interesting because the book had to evolve as the industry evolved. Uh, I first wrote uh, Writing the TV Drama Series in 2005. Now, just, just, <clears throat> just think how the television has changed since then. Yeah. Way back then... Television was written in four acts uh, with a teaser with commercial breaks. So we were really thinking about broadcast network television and, yes, HBO. Uh, So there was some opening to premium cable, uh, which started actually at the beginning of uh, of the 21st century, 2000. But the minute that book came out, everything started to change. So here I was... At a writer's, uh, at a here I was at a session with an audience presenting the book, and somebody raises their hand and says, Four acts are no longer what's happening. I just got hired for something with five acts. Yeah, I got hired for something with six acts. And I realized very quickly that this book was out of date on publication. So I quickly ramped up and did a second edition, came out in 2007, that allowed for. What was happening at AMC, for example, where all of a sudden basic cable, which also had the act breaks and also had uh, the commercials and the same structure, but it was on basic cable, not just premium cable, because here we are with Mad Men, and here we are with a whole opening of other kinds of characterizations, building perhaps on the antihero that started at HBO with Tony Soprano in 1999. Well... That lasted for a little while, but wait a minute, there's much more happening. Not just HBO, not just Showtime, there's stars. There are all the other cable channels were happening, and uh, networks themselves were evolving in terms of the kind of material you could have. YouTube was also an outlet, and uh, there seemed to be growing possibilities. So in 2011... Here was the third edition, and I thought, okay, now we've got it. This can stay for a while because it gave you the craft, it gave you the possibility of moving forward, and it gave you some of the very exciting things that were happening, as well as a first peek at what was happening internationally because something like The Walking Dead, uh, when that premiered, 
It opened in uh, 290-something countries all at once on the same day. I think it was Halloween or something. And uh, had an enormous, enormous global audience because zombies, after all, are easy to follow globally. So, okay, there was a possibility of what was going to happen, but after a while, I realized I was teaching this to my students at USC, and I started getting embarrassed because I was blindsided by the streaming revolution. I didn't see Netflix coming. I just didn't know it. And all of a sudden, the idea of the act break structure, the idea of commercials, of although HBO, of course, already didn't have the commercials, but more was happening. And also, I started to realize and learn that TV is more and more a global phenomenon. Yes, of course, uh, Los Angeles in particular, and the United States, is a big producer of material that's all around the world, but so are other countries. Well, I felt I had to do something. This was just out of time. So I wrote an intermediate book called The Future of Television, which was immensely hubris. How could I imagine what the future of television was when it was a moving train? But I went and I talked to Ted Sarandos at Netflix, who was wonderful to talk to. And I talked to people who were doing a lot of the uh, opening possibilities with uh, even crowdsourcing uh, Amazon. I dealt with how they were starting. Um, And I thought this would be an interesting experience because what was happening to the audience was that people wanted to know where we were going. Well, the year this came out, instead of the future of the television, it was the present of television, and a year later it was the past of television, so forget it. Um, (laughs) And I decided that what needed to happen instead, to really go back to the core book, writing the TV drama series, which was being used by all of the fellowships and all of the programs and all of the schools everywhere, and take a look at this core book and see how it could encompass both the traditional models, and everything new that was happening because of the blossoming platforms, and also look at where things were going in the future after this, um, partly because of streaming, partly because of the whole online presence, but also because of globalization. And that led to the fourth edition, which is uh, just came out at the end of 2018. It's brand new, and it's as current as it can be, mm-hmm. given... Because who knows, right? Absolutely. You might be blindsided. You know, like you said, to, to like on publication, things had changed. Like, gosh, right? It's, yeah. Things could change again next month. Well, they will. Uh, but if you get a big enough look at the kinds of change that are in the offing, uh, you will be out of date less quickly. <laughs> Do you spend a lot of time watching TV yourself? I have to because I have to know what the students are going to write, for one thing, and also trying to keep up. But, you know, you can't keep up. It is truly impossible. (laughs) With Netflix, you know, every day there's, hey, here's 10 more things that would be great. And I look at them and I say, you know, these maybe would be great. Who has that much time to spend your life watching? Um, Even though now... The idea that television is a box or a screen in your home is long gone, Mm -hmm. long gone. Uh, You can watch on your computer. You can watch on your phone. Uh, In the future, you'll be able to watch as holograms. Uh, There are a lot of other things, to other ways to watch television, but there's still only so many hours in the day, and one must have a life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For some people, that is their life. (laughs) Then we have to talk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One thing I think is so interesting is uh, off mic, you were saying, you know, as TV has changed and updated, the craft changes as well. You mentioned already, you know, the the act changes, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But how else has, uh, you know, adding these platforms and the emergence of Netflix and all these things, how else have you seen a change in the craft of screenwriting? Yeah. I mean, of, of TV writing, I'm sorry. Right. Yeah, no, it's okay. Uh, you know, that's another, the idea of screenwriting television, you know, among the many things that are emerging, that's something, look what happened with Roma. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 
both Amazon and Netflix are in the in what used to be called the feature film business. Right. And you understand that the Writers Guild definition of television mm-hmm. uh, is ex- very broad. It's anything that is not in a closed theater. And that encompasses not only anything on any screen anywhere, but game boxes too. And it is so broad that uh, the notion of what it means to write for television is uh, almost unknowable because it includes everything. I deal with mostly episodic television. Right, right. Because, I mean, look, you know, I think that is going to change because, mm-hmm. because uh, look, Roma is a film, right? That's mm. why it was up for an Academy sure. Award. So when TV writers are thinking, oh, gosh, I have to now write films because it's on a TV-like device, that is just not true. true. So yeah. as far as the craft goes, we're still talking about the craft of one-hour or half-hour right. episodic TV, something that we you know right. has a new chapter to it, if you will, every well, week. Well, that's absolutely right. Uh, among the changes are the notion of drama and comedy and where that borderline is. We are seeing uh, half-hour dramas such as Homecoming from the U.S., and we are also seeing hour-long comedies such as Shameless. I was just getting so hard to teach because I'm, I'm always like, let's, if it's a comedy, let's try and make it half-hour. If it's right. a drama, let's try and make it one-hour. Just right. again to give them sort of as many options as far I as selling goes. No, that's but it true. is interesting that these hybrids are coming, and they are very cool. Oh, uh, yeah. Look at Atlanta, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that's supposedly a comedy, uh, but there's some great dramatic, uh, dramatic material there. Uh, look at Orange is the New Black mm-hmm. uh, from Genji Cohen. Uh, they entered the Emmys as a comedy the first year, which made a lot of comedy people mad. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, were edged into, hey, you're a drama. Mm-hmm. And, but it was also interesting that I, th- I thought in, I think it was around season two, they were trying for more comedy yeah. in order, I think, to... Stay in that category. Right, exactly. exactly. It wasn't going to work because they could win in that category, they thought. Um, but the big kinds of change from a writing point of view, besides the idea that don't worry about if it's comedy or drama, just write well, write what you need to write. And if there's some humor in it, good. If not, that's okay too. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the other thing is from the, from a structural point of view, and I'm again talking about mostly American television here, because as you go to the international market, you have some things that are a little bit different. For most of uh, what happens on streaming, the shows are broken not in the uh, act structure as I have often taught in the past, and which I still think is useful, by the way. Me too, me too. Um, And so I, I do this with my students, but... If you talk to somebody who writes uh, for like something like Luke Cage, for example, and I asked one of the uh, executive producers there how they broke their episodes, and they said, we break it per- purely on character. Our first question is, what does Luke want in this particular episode? Uh, so then we get his arc for this one hour, and we do the beats for Luke alone as the A story. Once you know what Luke wants and you have the overall feeling of the character development in that episode, then they go to secondary characters or a secondary storyline and break that and then they do a weave. Ultimately, you're still back to dramatic structure because no matter what you say about overall arc or A, B, and C or character-driven, you're still needing to have a rhythm to your show. And many writers I've spoken to who write for uh, HBO, which of course has no real act breaks, or uh, or Netflix, tell me that privately they organize their tr- their script in the four act structure, in the traditional four act structure, and then just drop out the act breaks. Mm-hmm. Because even if you're doing just for example the the arc for Luke uh, as an A story, you still need to say, okay, where are the turning points here, and you find yourself back to the ramp up to the development in the middle part with a with a midpoint and uh, some sort of resolution. So you end up with a lot of the traditional ideas, even if they are uh, for just one character arc. And it goes back to the essence of what is drama. So that actually 
hasn't changed since Aristotle in in many ways. And I think that solid basis in writing stories, knowing what a narrative drive is, uh, really doesn't change with the platform. I, I think you make so many excellent points. And, you know, if anybody's just, you know, shaking their heads and going, I'll never do an act break. Another really simple way of thinking about it is four acts, every 15 minutes, something's going to happen. <laughs> Five yeah. acts and six acts, every 10 minutes, something's going to happen. Yeah. It keeps you on story. It keeps you forcing, forcing the story to turn, to pivot, to, to come up with something new. Well, I think, I think you're right. And also the idea that we're talking about experiences on screen for the characters, that's something that a new writer uh, sometimes miss because they're, the char- they're in their heads and so it's the character thinks or wants or feels or, you know, let's look, let's stand there and look at the beautiful ocean for a while. And that's not what television is about. I don't think it's really what features films are about either, although there's a little more space there. But uh, turning the storyline by events on screen. So, so a good way to be thinking, let's say you are breaking things in terms of what a character wants. Mm-hmm. I would add to that. So your character wants something, um, what is it then they do about it, right? So we add the action and even adding more, what gets in the character's way. So if you ask yourself that before going into the, in, uh, that, now you can break it around the goal, the activity, and the complication. Right, and you also, I always advise uh, new writers that if you're going to develop a protagonist, you need to develop an antagonist who is absolutely equal, uh, equal in motivation, equal in power, uh, equal in uh, all of the reasons that this is something that this character cannot give up on until the conflict is over. And that's where you have a very strong dramatic drive and you have uh, characters who nobody's necessarily good or bad. They're just people who want things that are in opposition. And that's a good way to look at character development and, and storytelling. But this is true of, of any writing, actually. Um, what's your favorite change that has been made? I think the favorite change is following what the story wants instead of needing to yield to an externally imposed structure. Uh, one of the things that I was told often at Netflix and at Amazon and, uh, and at HBO that, uh, we're not going to tell you how to, how to write your story. Uh, we just want it to be what the story needs. And if it's going to be 43 minutes or uh, 62 minutes, that's fine. Uh, it's a different notion of screen real estate. After all, on traditional networks or the legacy networks, uh, they knew they had this much time to give you on screen, 44 minutes to allow for the act breaks uh, to the commercials. Or even if it's something without the commercials, we have an hour slot for you because after this, there's something else that also takes an hour. And Netflix doesn't feel that way. Uh, There is no limited real estate. It's whatever you need to tell the story is what you need to tell the story. Now, what gets found out pretty quickly is that the audience itself demands a structure that they like. And this is something that was discovered uh, with attempts at 90-minute dramas, that the audience didn't like it. The audience was saying, why are we 15 minutes beyond the hour? Why is this going on? Or where's the, where's the rest of the hour? Right, where it might feel like an unfinished movie sometimes. Yes, yeah, right. And so it turns out that there's very, there have been, I mean, Columbo long ago was 90 minutes, and there have been some others, but um, generally things continue to fall into the hour or half hour. Uh, one of the interesting things about Homecoming, which is a half hour drama, it doesn't pretend to be a comedy, is I find it uh, very surprisingly successful that in that 30-minute bite, you can get so much story. I think it's just uh, well done. And what they do is they make you want the, the second hour, the second oh, yeah. episode. Nope. So you tend to watch two episodes at once. It's, uh, it's something that was also discovered with people who were experimenting on YouTube with 10-minute episodes and uh, trying to write, this was an experiment that I 
I don't think it quite worked, but it was interesting that it was tried. Um, they decided, and I forget actually who the production company was, to do a 120-minute movie shown in 10-minute segments. And so they wrote the whole movie first and then showed it 10 minutes at a time because they said, well, the audience has a small attention span and they're not going to be watching. And that just turned out to be wrong. Uh, what happened is that people would watch a half hour worth of the 10-minute sec- segments or even one hour worth of the 10-minute segments. So the audience taste, or maybe it was habit, was reverting to the older models so it's uh, or the traditional models, or you might say the biologically determined model. There's something interesting about human attention, which is not that it's short. It really isn't short, but there seems to be a rhythm to it. And the rhythm is something you could actually observe if you go to a movie where there are no breaks. It's two hours or whatever length it is. And you start to see the audience squirm every 15 minutes or so. And uh, I think there is something integral to human rhythm that they want a change-up every so often. And it's, uh, it's really enlightening. But in terms of people passionately following things that don't have the normal form, there's plenty of passion out there. Mm-hmm. Um, one little technique I picked up from the people doing streaming is they uh, stopped doing credits at the very end. Uh, and the reason they didn't run credits at the end is that they want the viewers not to feel this finishes, but to go immediately to the next episode. And you, you see that uh, on Amazon especially. Your ep- and it's a little annoying in a way, but uh, <laughs> the, the, the episode ends and there's immediately countdown. Mm-hmm. And you see the numbers running to the next episode. And you have to say, stop, 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 stop. I'm not watching anymore because it would otherwise continue. Right, right. Yeah. We, we, I have a I have a problem. My husband always falls asleep. Okay, oh. even <laughs> if it's wildly interesting, right? Mm-hmm. So when that ticker happens, uh-huh. it's everything I can do to stop it so he can watch the next episode with me the next night. Yeah, yeah. Because if I just kind of let it go, I'll end up watching the entire exactly, thing. Exactly. Yeah. And then in the morning, I have to like. I, I'm all shamed. I have, to, I have to, yes, I watched the whole thing. It wasn't my fault. It was the, the ticker. It just kept going. I had to. That's funny. But it's wonderful in a way that there's so much that's fascinating that's on. And uh, I have to hand it to, to both Netflix and Amazon for pioneering some uh, kinds of subjects and from ways of writing that uh, are really well beyond what was done in legacy networks. Uh, I had doubts that Amazon would be any good. I really did. Mm -hmm. Because why do I want to watch some quality drama from somebody who's trying to sell me a vacuum? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they also had a bad approach in their very first year of doing the crowdsourcing. Oh, that whole democratic thing. Oh. They they never really, it seemed like they never really intended on doing. Well, I think they tried. They ran a contest for pilots. they had 2,500 submissions. The number of those submissions that got on the air was zero. Mm-hmm. And they finally went back to the professionals. Uh, so it, it was a rocky, rocky start. But then they came in with transparent. And uh, a groundbreaking subject was from Jill Soloway. You know, congratulations to them. Uh, and, and have continued doing some really interesting things. They're really experimental. So... Um, and Netflix is, I, I love Netflix. I love Netflix not because I'm overwhelmed with how much it's there that I can't see, because it's just no way. But I love Netflix because of what they're doing internationally. Mm-hmm. And so maybe we can get into yeah, some of that. Yeah, I would love to, actually. But that is a, a brand new chapter in your fourth edition, right? It's international television. And boy, you cover... Brazil, Mexico, the UK, Ireland, Denmark, France, Czech Republic, Turkey, Israel, uh, Nigeria, uh, and with a little subsection about China's presence in Kenya, South Africa, India, 
China, South Korea, North Korea, and Japan. Yes. My God. What a world tour. Yes. So for people who are listening who (laughs) are from those areas, this might be a good book for you. Again, writing the TV drama series. Um, So tell me a little bit about what you learned writing Chapter 8, International Television. Yeah, it occupies almost a third of the book uh, because it kept spreading. It was really going to be just a chapter. It's now an entire section of the book. Because the more I delved into it, the more production I discovered around the world that was interesting. And that not everything is the same. And that, however, uh, there are no borders between things that are created in one country and another because they're satellites. It's a uh, an era of the kind of international, global conversation that we do not have in our political life, but it's happening on television. I also didn't know uh, who the big producers were. We always assume that, yes, the U.S. is the largest purveyor of television content, uh, and that is still true. But we assume, and and indeed... uh, People have seen American shows from even long ago uh, all over the world. One anecdote is uh, I was giving a seminar in South Africa a couple of, several years ago at a time when AMC had no mechanism for, uh, for sending their series to South Africa. There was no way to receive anything. But I mentioned something about uh, Mad Men. I, s- I said something about Don Draper, and just out of curious curiosity, uh, I asked the audience, who, by the way, came not... The seminar was in South Africa, but there was a large contingent from Nigeria and a large contingent from Ghana at the same, uh, at the same workshop. And uh, I, you know, I said, anybody ever heard of Don Draper and Mad Men? Everybody knew. Everybody, yeah. And I was thinking... How in the world could you know this show when they have no outlet here? And they were all grabbing it off the satellite, Mm -hmm. Uh, illegally or not illegally, but everybody was seeing everything. And then I said to myself, why would somebody from Africa have any interest at all in a Madison Avenue Ad man from the 1950s in New York. (laughs) And the answer is very simple, which is that it doesn't matter what the character's profession was or location, they were into the character. Sure. Sure, that uh, he had a secret. It was universal. Right? Yes. We all have secrets. Yeah. Um, he had a drive. Yeah. He had huge flaws. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's just fascinating. Yeah, and that was true of every other show. So American shows are known all over the world. But beyond that, I found out about shows that are being made other places. We assume, well, of course, the UK, sure. Plenty of shows here are originally from the UK. There's Shameless, there's um, tons of stuff. But there's also so many things that we binge that are BBC or uh, yeah, you know, like yeah. Catastrophe. So there's almost, almost an invisible link here, and we can get to... Uh, Game of Thrones and its uh, Irish link later. Mm-hmm. Um, but in addition to... And then we assume also Israel. There's lots and lots of stuff coming from them. The original in treatment. Uh, the original... Um, I'm forgetting some of what... All of what comes from Israel. But certainly in treatment and many other shows mm-hmm. come from Israel. Uh, and then Denmark. Uh, the killing. Mm-hmm and others. So we know about those, and we say, well, that's where most of the stuff is coming from. Not true. Not true. The second largest purveyor maker of television that goes around the world, believe it or not, is Turkey. (laughs) What? I would not have known. I found this out in the research. Uh, They have a specific viewpoint, and they're not terribly involved in the American market, and we can't see much of Turkish television here. But they are overwhelming the Middle East and North Africa, and for some reason also South America, um, with their dramatic shows, all of which are, um, frankly, uh, 
they're kind of propaganda in a way, the dramatic propaganda. One might say it's a way of weaponizing drama in the sense that they are purveying or putting forth in their dramatic shows a view of Turkish history and the Ottoman Empire, which is what they want the world to know and see. It's a very positive message from their point of view. Uh, Other people who are not... uh, agreeing with their point of view, uh, might be troubled by this, but they're powerful and they're successful and they're using dramatic storytelling with huge, huge uh, financial investments on the screen uh, to influence a lot of people around the world. Not It's not political in the sense that it comes literally from a government political person, but it is absolutely messaging from the country. Now, you mentioned North Korea as one of... Well, that was another of... crazy thing. Um, South Korea has a very full and rich uh, um, entertainment industry in, in music with K-pop and with their soap operas. It's uh, very successful and it's popular. It tends to be fun. It tends to be romantic. And they have certain categories and genres in which they work that is uh, beloved by people who like their their spirit around the world. Yeah, Korean soap opera like there you know there are so many fanatics. Oh, absolutely. There well there's actually uh, TV tourism. I mean, where you can go and see the locations that are in their shows. Uh, very popular, very successful uh, of a style that is actually different from American television and different from uh, UK television and different from Brazilian television. Well, not so different from Brazilian television. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, different from television in other places. It it's, has a flavor of its own, which is, is uh, its market. Now, after I had a research assistant on this, and I so I said, you know, among the things to study, you know, look at, South African television, uh, South, sorry, South Korean television. And she did. And then she said, and I have North Korean television. And I said, how can you possibly have North Korean television? There isn't any. If you look at a map, they don't even have electricity in most of the country. And then there's this whole business of the government mandated television, which is just, you know, political propaganda for a very small number of people who have the devices. And so there really isn't anything to be said about And she said, no, 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 no. Uh, you don't know what's happening over there. And what's happening over there uh, that I heard from mostly from uh, North Korean defectors is that actually lots of people are watching television in North Korea. They're watching South Korean television in North Korea bootlegged and at the risk of their lives if they are found out to be watching South Korean uh, soap operas, they could be killed. But the pull of it is so strong that there are some secret devices and some ways that this this material is getting through to them. And I said to the people who were telling me this, um, how many, it can't be very many people have this. I mean, the people out in the the poor farmers and all, they they can't be watching this. And he says, oh no, everybody's watching. <laughs> so, so are they then generating their own content secretly? No. Okay. They don't have the, they don't have the equipment for that. Because I mean, that would be... No, no. I, I don't think they have the resources for that. But the idea that communications crosses boundaries uh, is everywhere. That's It's really fantastic. And in terms of why television is important, there's something else I found out in Africa... I went to a, um, a a village where people were very, very poor. They were living in, um, well, sometimes little concrete uh, shelters, one-room places, sometimes less than that, sometimes tents. And uh, there was no plumbing there. And uh, for plumbing, people were using what they called the uh, uh, deep drop or something. I forget the name of it. It's in the book. Um you know, it was basically just a very deep hole in the ground. And that's all they could afford. But every single house had a dish on the top. Mm. 
And I said to my guide, what are all those dishes doing on top of the tents and the little tiny huts and the little concrete one-room boxes? And they said, well, that's television. They're, they're uh, the satellite feed. Uh, and I said, how can they possibly have that? And they said, well, it costs sometimes an entire month's salary to get that television. I said, well, why would they have that when they can't afford plumbing? And my guide said, priorities. Well, if you think about it, ask, you know, in our, in our heads, we might think, oh, no, I'd always take plumbing first. But, you know, take away your TV, take away your access to what's going on and, yeah. and, and also, you know, your entertainment, you know, of people. Well, it's, it's even more than escape. that. It's, it's connection. Mm-hmm. It's connection that is not your tent or your hut. It's connection to the conversation worldwide. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I love Netflix for, because Netflix went one further than, or is currently going one further than just buying and selling uh, material from other countries that are that's produced in a sophisticated way and watching it elsewhere. I mean, here we can watch 3% from Brazil, and we can watch uh, Okja from uh, uh, Japan, uh, Korea, from Korea, um, and other things that are around the world. We can find them here on Netflix, no problem. But they're doing something different. They, they, the Netflix minds, <laughs> uh, decided that they were going to go around the world and create indigenous programming from places where there really was none. So this is another level. They would go to some place in uh, some side place far away in India or someplace else that really had little or no uh, television except what they brought in. And they would say to the people locally, what are the stories you want to tell? What's on your mind? And these are people who had no training. And they would say, okay, you know, let's, let's find out what you want to see and what you want to tell We'll match you up with our professionals, and we'll do something that is of interest to you locally. I don't think they're making much money on that. I think I, I almost see this as humanitarian. I think, of course, they're a business. Of course, they're making money on it because once you buy Netflix package locally, you're getting the Netflix package from every place. Uh, but it's a phenomenon that has been underreported and is extraordinarily interesting. So um, I'm, and Amazon is doing that a little bit too. Now there's some side parts of this, uh, what I'm thinking of is sometimes weaponized drama uh, that's globally is what China is doing. Uh, China, uh, the government, uh, has decided to uh, install communications equipment throughout Africa uh, at their own cost. So they are enabling places that sometimes don't have roads uh, to have to receive television signals. Now, what they're receiving in this case is generally Chinese television, which is weird because we have people who are very far from China who don't know anything about China. And China's reason for doing this, I believe, is to create a willing population for other kinds of business and other kinds of uh, influence that they want in terms of things that have nothing to do with television. But the side effect of it, even if that is China's motive, is to uh, educate a population wherever it goes into at least some of the technical aspects. And some of those people have turned around and done local programming with Chinese equipment. So it's a phenomenon going on around the world now that is uh, is very different from what it was even just a few years ago. And I don't think it's going to be slower. Nor do I think it is instead of uh, U.S. production or instead of production from any of these other big centers. I think it's in addition to. Just, just going for a second to... Uh, sensibilities, tone, approaches to character, approaches to subject matter. Um, what, what do you think Americans sort of fool themselves into believing that the rest of the world believes? You know, like what, 
if you're going to another country and let's say somebody like me going in to teach TV, um, what should you be looking for? Don't assume what? Well, don't assume that uh, everybody's concerns are limited to uh, some of the uh, easy lifestyle where the big questions and problems in your life are your jewelry or uh, or even your romance. But I have to correct myself even as I say that because once the things that are universal uh, are universal, such as love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just because somebody may be living in a war zone doesn't mean they don't want to see a story about love. So I think... Just understanding, there are well, there are cultural things to understand, though, in terms of offending people. Yeah, yeah, I was wondering about that. Um, uh, there are there are countries where uh, lots of places, actually, lots of places, where uh, nudity, for example, or uh, the uh, expressions of sexuality are are truly offensive, and uh, and can't be shown. Uh, what was the show? I th- I think it was. I think it was back to Shameless that Turkey decided to do a version of it and somebody made a joke. Was it Shameless or something else? One of the shows, and they said, yes, but we're going to edit it for our country. Uh, That means there could not be any alcohol, (laughs) any smoking, any any drugs, any nudity, any sexuality. And so the reviewer, knowing that Turkey was doing its version, says, so this will be a one-minute long (laughs) telecast. If it is shameless, (laughs) definitely. definitely. And many others like that. Uh, So there is that realization, um, which is one of the reasons that I thought it was so interesting that Netflix was coming from the population out rather than imposing something on the population. So I think absolutely uh, to be respectful of the of the norms and the conditions, most of which do have to do with uh, nudity, uh, alcohol, smoking. China, for example, there's an interesting story about a uh, a very popular series that was Chinese made in China. People loved it. It was called the Empress or some. It was it was some historical thing about an early woman emperor of China, and a very very popular show, very well done with an actress lead who was, uh, you know, very much uh, admired. The costume she had on showed the upper part of cleavage, and uh, you know didn't hurt the show at all and maybe that was the costume that the empress actually wore in that era who knows uh the government decided this was not okay and took the show off the air and cropped everything oh, that's funny. so that it was her shoulders up but i would say you know i i taught in let's see i taught in beijing twice mm-hmm. uh the last time i was there it felt like there had been a real shift um, in the fact that I was teaching a lot of, there were a lot of millennials in this particular, mm. uh, and they were so tuned in with so much international TV. Um, there wasn't, there wasn't a raised eyebrow or a gasp at all. You know, I could teach anything I wanted. They would shake their heads. You know, I would ask people and say, you know, is any of this offensive? You know, and, you know, some would say, well, there's an assumption that, what we write may be censored in some kind of way, you know, uh, but we're here to write more. We need more content. Yeah. So tell us everything, you know, we can adjust. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was really interesting, especially that second go around just, you know, yeah, I, I was, I was, the, the more there, it is always good to sort of home in on what are the differences, mm-hmm. especially in terms of, of norms and even storytelling and pace. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's also good to go into any country and go, and everybody's just like, like everybody else. Well, the universals are. are really universal, and the young audience is absolutely uh, hip to what's going on everywhere. Yeah. So there is, there's no difference. But that's different from the question of government censorship. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you two examples uh, of uh, where the creative impulse of the individual writer. Uh, bumps up against uh, censorship. One is in the book, it's some area, I believe, India, uh, where 
the normal feeling is that uh, women needed to, whether you like your husband or not, uh, you are going to stay home. I mean, there is no way out from this husband, even if he is abusive. Uh, and actually, it's an also an area which I was told uh, the normal storytelling was that because a young bride moves into the husband's family, the big story engine there is the relationship between the mother-in-law and the new bride, that most of the comedy and most of the dramatic uh, turning points have to do with the relationship of the mother, the mother-in-law, and the new bride. It's something we don't write here, but that audience wanted it. However, someone did a show which was very popular, in which there was a woman character who actually divorces her husband. It was a show that was on as part of a soap opera, I believe. It was a soap opera. Uh, And this got on, and people, the women women particularly, who were the audience for the show, were watching. This was a woman who got out of that situation. And in the year after that, a lot of these women, or uh, some of these women anyway, walked. They said, I saw that on television. I don't have to take this. Wow. I can leave. Uh, And they did. And they did. Now... The show was then canceled. <laughs> but it shows you the power of this kind of communication. doesn't mean you can get away with it everywhere. I mean, if you're going to get killed, don't, don't do it. There are stories that won't get you killed anywhere that you are. I have a student right now uh, who uh, is from Saudi Arabia. This is a student at USC. She's a master's degree student and a very good writer. And she's writing something about her, her home. We keep bumping into things where she says, I can't do that. Uh, I'll I'll be in trouble. I can't write about it or I can't can't have my character do that because she wouldn't be able to do it. No, it can't be in the script. Got it. It can't be in the script. Uh, And it's some of those things are things that dramatically you would say, well, the logical thing in in an American show would be logically you would have this scene here where if somebody gets arrested, we see the arrest on screen rather than putting it off screen. And she said, I can't. Mm. I just can't. Interesting. Uh, Which creates, you know, you know, yeah, that's the, the logical thing. But then these obstacles create new challenges as to, okay, how could it be equally dramatic, right, to dramatize what's going on off screen and, and not show that? Well, it, it takes creative solution solving um, and... And it can be done. Anything can be done. It's also entirely possible you don't to not write something that's controversial, but to still write something that's moving, meaningful, and what you have to say. And gets people thinking anyway. And gets people thinking about life and your characters. So I really believe there's, that there's always a way, there's always a hope. And it doesn't have to mean moving to Los Angeles. Uh, clearly, if you want to break into the American marketplace, you have to be here. Right. But one of the things I'm finding is that, you know what? If you come from somewhere else uh, and there is an industry of any sort there, start at home. You may find that if your show is a big success, uh, it'll play here anyway. Uh, and, you know, it'll be picked up on Netflix or Amazon or on something else. Uh, or even if it moves uh, as an adaptation, which certainly does happen, uh, it's still something you created, and it goes around the world, and then maybe you can follow. Not everybody needs to come to Los Angeles uh, learning English as a second language and trying to adapt to making believe you do the same American stuff that you've seen before. You need to write your truth. Mm -hmm. It makes a lot of sense. This has been extremely valuable. I, I mean, Pamela, you are a wealth of information. I'm so glad that we went 
you know, down certain trails here. I, it's, it's wonderful to also talk about international storytelling. I would encourage everybody to get the fourth edition, okay? Make sure it's the fourth edition of writing the TV drama series. Again, this is by Pamela Douglas. It's with Michael Weezy Publications, yes? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, you can find it on Amazon. Where else can people go to find the book or find out more about you? Well, to find the book... I really do uh, recommend Amazon because it uh, helps encourage others. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and then say something nice about it if you can. Um, but make sure it's the fourth edition because they're still, unfortunately, selling the third edition, which is out of date. I have the date. same problem. If anybody's buying the Coffee Break Screenwriter, look for the cover that has the white cover with the red letters, not the old edition, yeah. because it has better information. But we found out that Amazon tries to get rid of its inventory. Yeah. So it will steer you to- toward Old pa- books. Old editions, exactly. Yeah. No, fourth edition, four, number four, remember. <laughs> um, <laughs> Only two for me, man. You are, you are my hero. I don't think I'll ever get to four. <laughs> well, it, it's because of the industry changing so quickly. Um, the other thing, or you could get it directly from the publisher, mwp.com, but go to Amazon. <laughs> Um, to, uh, I, I also have another, uh, to mention something that has nothing to do with the book, actually. I have another life. I, I'm an artist. I'm a visual artist also. And uh, if you are also interested in artwork that has nothing to do with this book whatsoever, um, my art website is pamdouglasart.com. I have a blog on that site. Again, nothing to do with this book, sorry. But uh there's an interesting series I'm doing right now called Sanctuary. It's about uh, uh, immigration, which I, I I simply love what I'm working on now. Um, Telling stories in every medium. Well, it's all storytelling. It's all from the core and the heart of what makes human beings tick. And I just want to encourage all of you listening to uh, towards honesty be authentic to what story you have to tell. You don't have to, please don't imitate something else. Tell your story uh, with your honesty and uh, you'll be surprised how wonderful it can be. I couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. I want to remind everybody to go to onthepage.tv to check out the in-person classes, but also the new online class. There will be a six-week first draft class that you can take live with me. I'll be right there. It's not pre-taped. It's video online through Zoom. And that will be April 27th through June 1st. It is uh, Saturdays. Trying to make it a time zone that works for most people. Um, So do check that out on the website, onthepage.tv. Thanks again to Pamela Douglas. She is extraordinary. Thanks to all of you for listening. And have a good writing week. (laughs) 